Well, good morning. Hope you had a uh, good new year. James said at the uh, beginning that uh, if this was your first time here this year, you should fill out a card. So everyone should fill out a card, right? I'm sorry, James, I had to do it. I got to think, well, I should probably fill one of those out because I qualify for that. So uh, hopefully you had a good year this year. We'll be in Acts 17 this morning. Acts 17. So as I uh, was preparing for today and uh, preparation and prayer for today, I prayed about, uh, you know, what, what is it that we need to hear? It's 2016, it's a new year, uh, many resolutions are made, maybe you want to exercise more this year, maybe you want to save more money, or maybe whatever your resolution may be, you have, you have these things that you want to do, and so you have a, a goal that you want to accomplish. Uh, but every one of us, you know, we have something that we want to do. And so I, I began to think and to pray about, you know, what is it that we can talk about? And, you know, what is it that God wants to speak to us about? And so I want to, I really want to simplify 2016 for you. As you can see on the screen today, I want to talk to you about to know God and to make him known. Now, there's a lot of resolutions that you could make, but these would be the greatest things that you could do. If this was the only thing you accomplished in life, you would have lived quite a life. And so I want to encourage us or build a case for the fact that today uh, there's two things that are worthwhile in your life for 2016. And, you know, resolutions come and go. Uh, but to know God and to make Him known would forever leave an indelible mark on the year 2016 in your life. You see, every one of us pursue real things. We want genuine, real things. We don't want the fake. We don't want the fraud. We don't want secondary. We want real genuine items. And uh, I can remember several years ago, I was flying through Memphis, and I had often heard about the great hot dogs of Memphis, the sausage dogs. I don't know if you've ever had those before. And so I was, I was advised, hey, when you go through Memphis, you need to get a, a sausage dog there in the airport. And, and so I got at the airport and had some uh, break time. And so I went and, and I got me a hot dog. And so I sat down at the terminal there waiting for the plane, and I was eating my hot dog, and I took a bite. And and I thought, well, this is terrible. There's no way this was worth me buying. And, and so I said, no, 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 you know, I was told this is good. I need to keep trying. So I ate another bite. And I just thought, this is disgusting. There's no way this is any good. Somebody's lied to me. And so I ate about half of the hot dog and just, you know, was muscling it through. And then I looked down at my hot dog and I realized that the, the hot dog meat was wrapped in wax paper. And I had eaten half a hot dog wrapped in wax paper. And I thought, no wonder this thing is disgusting. And so I threw the rest of it away because I had a stomach full of wax paper and I couldn't take anymore. But we, we have experiences like that in our life and we say... You know, I don't want, I don't want a, a half-eaten, you know, a half-wrapped hot dog. I want the real thing. You know, it's the same thing. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But, you know, when it comes to pleasure in our life, we want, 
we want pleasure and we want more of it. We, we want to satisfy ourselves. And so we want something that's real. There's a lot of things in life that you're going to be involved in and they're just going to fly away. They're, they're going to pass away. The older I get, the, the quicker time gets. You've heard that before. You know, with kids they say the days are long and the years are short. And that's so true even with my young kids now. But we all want the real experiences of life. We want the real thing. And so in that, we, we pursue those things. And, and in that, we all, we have this desire to worship through that. Every person was created by God himself with a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. And the only way you're going to satisfy that is with Jesus. There's nothing that you're going to feel. You could win the lottery. You know, I saw where it's up to $400 million. That will not satisfy you if you don't know Jesus. You can have all the possessions of the world. You can be all of the fame. You can be a famous athlete. None of that will satisfy you unless you have Jesus. You see, we all have this God-shaped vacuum. And in that, we want to or we desire to worship something. And we're going to see here with the Athenians, we are just like them. We desire to worship different things. So whether you're a student and you're about to go back to school or you're an adult and, and you're uh, going back to work or you're retired, wherever stage of life you find yourself in, you are worshiping something. I'm worshiping something. And my actions and my attitudes reflect what that worship is. And so as we all worship something, oftentimes we settle for something much less worthwhile than worshiping Jesus. So in Acts 17, we're going to look at where Paul comes into Athens, in the city of Athens, and he encounters people just like you and me. People that are worshiping things that are completely vain, that are completely empty, that lead to absolutely nothing. And then Paul shares with them that the greatest thing that they can do in their life is simply to know God and to make him known. So maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer and you say, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, this is the year that you should commit to make Jesus known in the life of your family, in the life of your co-workers, in the life of those that are around you in the circle in which God has placed you. But maybe you're here this morning and as we'll see, you have never purposed in your heart to pursue Jesus. You've never purposed in your heart to just know God. And so maybe today is that day. Maybe you start 2016 with an invitation and an acceptance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord this morning and ask his blessing on the reading of his word as we start. God, we come to you this morning. It's a new year. Uh, God, so many new things on our mind. Uh, students go back to school soon. Adults go back to work. Many, many, many things are about to start back up in 2016. And God, we probably did all the same things for New Year's Eve. And we'll start the, new the same routines again in this new year. And, and uh, God, we'll be involved in a lot of different things. But Lord, if, if our involvement and focus is not you... We've wasted our time. So God, I pray for 2016 that it's not a year that's the same as any other, but that it will be a year like no other. Uh, God, I pray this morning as we read your word in Acts that you'll speak to our hearts. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you visit every pew. God, I pray you'll convict hearts this morning. God, that you'll reveal to us uh, who we really are and, and our inability, God, to be who you want us to be without Jesus. 
And God, for those that don't have a relationship with you today, God, I pray that you'll give them courage, Lord, to step up in faith and receive that which you've paid for on the cross. God, we pray you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. For it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we do pray. Amen. Uh, So we'll be in Acts chapter 17. Now, just to give you a little context, uh, Paul, if you'll read in the first part of Acts 17, he has been to Thessalonica, which in your Bible is Thessalonians. And so Paul into Thessalonica and he has, uh, he's preaching uh, for brevity. He's, he's in the temple and the synagogues and he's preaching and some of the Jews got mad because they said, hey, there's no way this Jesus thing is real. And so it's blasphemy. Uh, we've got to get you out. And so he was staying at a guy named Jason's house. And, and so they came and they, they scuffed him up and then they, Paul left. So he left Thessalonica and he went to Athens. Now, I'm sorry, uh, Berea. Berea is about 50 or 60 miles from Thessalonica. So he made the journey to Berea, and the Bible says that they were more devoted there. If you read in Acts chapter 17, it says these Jews were more noble, which is in verse 11, than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness. So he goes to Berea, and he does the same thing. He, he makes God known. He's preaching the gospel. Well, the Jews from Thessalonica followed him, okay? Okay? And they stirred up some trouble in Berea. So now Paul leaves uh, Berea and he goes to Athens. Now the Bible says that they put him on a ship and he went to Athens. If we were looking at a map, you'd see there's some water. And so he jumped on a ship and boom, he's off to Athens. Now it's a little over 300 miles to Athens, quite the distance. So now we pick up with Paul coming into the city of Athens. Now in verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, uh, which if you pick up, you'll see that he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to come. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned with them in the synagogues uh, with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the, uh, to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. And uh, so, for you bring strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So here's the Athenians, and and they want to know something new, and they're seeking out this information. So as we look at the Scripture this morning, and I began to pray about this and and, and looking through it, I I just want to share with you a couple things this morning I believe that we are trading worship of Jesus for specifically in our culture today. The first thing that you'll see that the Athenians are trading Jesus worship with is they are worshiping knowledge. They are worshiping knowledge. They are seeking things that are new. The Bible says in verse 17 that they strive to know more. They were reasoning to know more. Verse 18, they conversed. If you're taking notes, you'll also notice in verse 19 that they wished to know. Uh, They wanted to know. They took him and said, may we know what this new teaching is. They wanted this new knowledge. You see, all of us have this unsatisfying desire to know more, especially as a Baptist. We want to come to church and 
and we want you to tell us as much as you possibly can. But by golly, if you put us in a circle and you want us to have conversation, you can forget it, right? As a Baptist, we don't open our mouth, just the speaker talks. That's how we are. I mean, it's, for whatever reason, that's the culture of how we are. And so what we want is all of this knowledge. I mean, think with me for a second. I, as I mentioned at the 8 o'clock uh, crowd, I'm not picking on Bay St. Louis because it's just about the same everywhere you go. You come to the 8 o'clock service. You go to Sunday school. Those two messages are highly unlikely to be the same thing. Then you have, if you come to the 1030, then you've got, what, Sunday night service. Then you've got Wednesday night service. You've got four or five different times that you come to church and you learn four or five different things. I mean, think about it. You study something in Sunday school, you listen to what the preacher says, you've got something on Sunday night, Wednesday night you do some type of Bible study. We, we want knowledge. I mean, think about it. We do. We just want you to give us more, more, more. But here's the problem with that. Here's how you know if you're worshiping knowledge. If you're not turning that knowledge into application, what are you doing with what you know? The Athenians, they sat around and all they wanted was new, new, new information. Everybody's being super quiet now. Because it's true, we're all the same. We just want to know more. Give me more, give me more, give me more knowledge. But the problem with that is we're not doing anything with that knowledge that we have. I heard a preacher, Francis Chan, you may have heard of him before. Francis Chan said it this way. He says that this is what we've done with the knowledge or with the Bible. We've taken that information. So, so God has given us his word. He's given us the information. And it's just like me telling my daughter, Natalie, go clean your room. And so Natalie, she writes down what I said. Dad said, go clean your room. And so she went to her room and she memorized every word of that sentence. Dad said, go clean your room. Then she looked it up in Greek and said, Dad said, go clean your room. And she looked it up in Hebrew. Dad said, go clean your room. And a couple of hours later, she comes back to the living room and she says, Dad, guess what? I have memorized exactly what you said. And I said, okay, great. Did you clean your room? Well, no, I didn't clean my room. I memorized what you said. Clean my room. I'm, I know every Greek and Hebrew transliteration. I know it all. And so you show up to the room and you look and you say, but you didn't clean the room. The point wasn't that you memorize all the scripture. You can learn the entire Bible front and back, but that's not going to make you a Christian. And all of the knowledge that you obtain in life, if it doesn't lead you to application to know God and to make him known, then what was it for? And the Athenians were the same way. They just wanted knowledge. They were thirsting for knowledge. Paul began to reason with them in verse 17. That means to discuss back and forth to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus. So this religion left them searching for answers, but they were, they were very devout in finding these answers. But here's the problem. They were devout in the wrong things. Church activities are not the cause for your relationship with Jesus, but the result of the relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. Church attendance is not the substitution for spiritual growth. I've said that for years. We think if we show up and we're at church, then we're going to grow spiritually. That is not true. You can park in a garage. It doesn't make you a car. I mean, you've heard it before. It's the same thing with Christianity. All this knowledge, if you're just letting this knowledge just boom, come in to your mind, but it's not translating into you living a life that Jesus died on the cross for, then what are you doing it for? So they were, they're pursuing all of these religious rituals. However, here's, here's what they really wanted. And here's what you really want. If knowledge is, is your 
primary focus in life. This is what you really want. This is what I really want. We want to know that we're at peace with God. That's what the core of it is. Is I, am I okay with God? If the lights were turned out today and I were to stand before God himself, are we good, God? Am I okay? See, that's the question is we want, we want peace. That's why we continue to search for knowledge. Is we want to know, is everything okay? It's just like the Athenians. So let's, let me tell you how they got the altar of the unknown God. Okay, uh, there's some historians that have said that uh, there were some terrible things that were happening in Athens. You can look this up. Some terrible things happening in Athens. And they couldn't figure out why. Why are people getting sick? Why are all these bad things happening? We're the same way in life, right? Why? We ask the question why. And so what they did is they brought in a consultant. His name was Epimendes. And they brought him in. They said, look, we've got some terrible things happening in our city. And we really need to know which of the gods we've offended. And so he says, well, this is what you do. You let some sheep loose and let them run around the city. And wherever the sheep lay down, you need to build an altar to a god there. Because apparently the sheep know something that you don't know. That makes sense, right? And so they let the sheep run around. And the sheep would lie down. And they would build altars. And every time they would build an altar, they said, well, this altar must satisfy this God, and this altar must satisfy this God, and this altar must satisfy this God. And then they got to the end of, couldn't come up with, you know, God names, and so they said, well, we'll just say the unknown God, just in case we've left one out. And so they have all of these altars as this unknown God, because they wanted to know that in, in, in any situation, I need to know I have peace with God. Well, see, the only way you can have peace with God is according to Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's where your, your peace comes from. is the fact that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice in your place, in my place. Because we're all sinners, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us are sinners. Romans 5.8, but Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He stood in our place. So when God the Father looks down at you, God the Father looks at me. This is simple theology. When he looks at you and he looks at me, if you're a child of God, guess what? He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no payment for your sins unless there's a sacrifice. That's why Jesus came. That's the only way you can have peace with God the Father. That's the gospel. And so Paul shows up before these people that are worshiping knowledge, and he says the only way you can have peace is through Jesus. But not only were they worshiping knowledge, they were also, just like you and me, worshiping pleasure. I mean, think about it. We, we search for and desire pleasure. Instead of learning it for themselves, they were constantly listening to what other people said about these gods that were supposedly real. But we're just the same. I mean, think about it. Let, let me just ask you a question. Now, for some of you, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but this may be a hard question. When is the last time you read your Bible? This is God's Word. But what we do in our American Christianity culture is we come to church and we hear a word from whatever the preacher says. Listen, that's why I used, I remember the first Sunday I came here, they, they made a comment that I had several slides of scripture. Because you don't need to know what I have to say. You need to know what God has to say. In this very church a few weeks ago, I had a lady come to me and say, thank you for making scripture so clear. I grew up and we were not encouraged to read the word of God. 
shame on our culture for, for raising a generation that's not dwelling in the Word of God. Shame on me if I'm not spending time in the Word of God. What I say is not going to change your life. What's written in these 66 books will radically change your life and your eternity. But what we want to do is we want somebody else to do the hard work because it's difficult to hear from God, right? And so we want somebody else to do the hard work and you just tell me what God has to say. Instead of mining the scriptures for ourselves. The Athenians were the same way. It was pleasurable for them to hear new things. What does the Greek word say in that scripture? What has God done in someone else's life? So as I began to think about pleasure, I thought, well, what are, what are some things that bring us pleasure? I mean, what, I don't know what the answer is in your life. It may be money, it may be fame, it may be power, position. I, I don't know what those things may be. But I can tell you this, none of them measure up to pleasure in Jesus. We settle for lesser pleasures in life so that we can satisfy ourselves temporarily. But we're never actually fulfilled with these temporary pleasures. Let me give you an example. Think about the holidays. Somebody made a dessert or something, a pie. My wife makes an amazing pecan pie. And guess what you did? You ate it and you said, man, this is delicious. I love this pecan pie. And you said, I know I shouldn't. How many of you said this? I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to eat another piece. Yeah, right? And you just kept going back until it was gone. I'll just start next year, right? Because why? Because it was amazing and it was delicious. And even though we knew that, that we, we ate it and we, oh man, it was so good and we were full. But then just a few hours later, boom, we're back in the kitchen, right? Because that temporary pleasure never lasts. And if you find your pleasure in anything else but Jesus, you're constantly going to be in a cycle of seeking pleasure. It happens over and over and over. John Piper says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Read that again. God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. So God receives the most glory when we receive the most satisfaction with just who He is. But they wanted to know more. So by the presence of the unknown altar, unknown God altar in their life, it was proof that their idols were insufficient. That their pleasures were fleeting. It left them continually searching for more. It was never fulfilling. Now remember, we talked about the Epicureans and the Stoics, right? So let's talk about a little history. The Epicureans believed that the ultimate purpose of life was happiness. Does that sound like today's culture? They just wanted to be happy. I mean, there's a very popular book today called Your Best Life Now. I don't want my best life now. I want my best life in eternity. That's when I'm going to be perfect. That's when I'm going to be redeemed. That's when I'm going to be who God created me to be. I'm never going to be who God created me to be here because of sin. And if this is as good as it gets, count me out. Because this is not what I'm here for. Paul said that. We're not, this is not what he, we're here for. But yet we pursue these things and which bring us happiness. Now, we're not going to talk about this today, but there's a giant difference between happiness and joy. Joy comes from God. Happiness comes from circumstances. So the Epicureans wanted happiness. Well, the Stoics believed that self-control was the ultimate good. So do we. I mean, think about how moral we want to become. We, we're a checklist people, right? We want to we do the right things, which is not a bad thing. I mean, some of these things that I'm saying are good things. 
I mean, but what we do is we substitute those things for Jesus. And we say, well, if I do the right things. I mean, we, we do this so many times. Our pastor talked about this. He, he, he called it the scales. And what we do is we weigh our good deeds versus our bad deeds. Every one of us do it. We do. We, we want to have our goodness outweigh our badness, if you can say it that way. We, we do. We, wanna, we want to feel like if we do enough good things that we'll be okay. And so what we've done is called behavioral modification. We have modified our behaviors to be acceptable. We're conformist. We are. We just want to conform to the situation so that we can be okay. If we do what everybody else is doing, then I'm not going to rise up and nobody's going to point me out. And I'm not going to have to pray out loud in church or Sunday school. And then I'll be okay. Right? Let let me give you an example of that. When is the last time you saw someone, anyone, surrender to the ministry? It doesn't happen very often. I can remember growing up, I mean, it would be, you know, seven people got saved and three surrendered to the ministry. You go to youth camp, 25 young men surrendered to full-time vocational service. You hear it all the time, but you don't see it that often anymore. Why not? Who do you know who is sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, I'm just asking. I want to know those people. The Stoics said, if you can just be good enough, if it's just good value, good moral value, if you can have that, you're going to be okay. Self-control, control yourself. And so what we've done as adults, well, we could spend a long time on this. What we've done as adults is we've suppressed the desire to pursue Jesus with reckless abandon. And we said, you'll get over it, young man or young lady. You're excited for Jesus today, but let me tell you what life's all about. Well, life's all about Jesus. Let me tell you what life's all about. We've suppressed it, and we've said, okay, well, if I speak up for Jesus, somebody may say something. They may think I'm a radical. They may think I'm crazy. We've all done it. So we worship the pleasure in our own life so that we'll be satisfied. It's common. So Paul, standing in the midst, verse 22 of the Areopagus, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the description to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, who he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, verse 34, but some men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. So Paul gives them the story. He explains everything to them. 
You see, the last thing that we see here that we worship and they worship is self. We worship ourselves. We seek our own pleasure. The Bible says that they kept what they had learned to themselves. They collected idols. Now, I don't know if you collect things, but all collectors always want more. I collected baseball cards and basketball cards growing up, and I have thousands of them. And I always wanted more and more and more, and it was never enough, and I always wanted more. And you may collect things, and you know, in a room this size, there probably are people who collect things. And guess what? You never have enough. You always want more because it satisfies you. And so the desire to satisfy self continues in your life. God told, uh, Paul told him here that God had allotted the boundaries in verse 26. He had put them specifically where they were for a specific reason. So let me ask you this when we talk about worshiping self. How are you reaching your neighbors? How many of your neighbors know your Jesus? Now, a lot of our neighbors know our hobbies. But how many of them know your Jesus? Or let me ask it corporately. What is First Baptist Bay St. Louis doing with the location God has given them? And I don't know this answer, but how many people did you baptize last year? Right? I mean, these are hard questions. I mean, let's be honest. But that's what we ought to be pursuing. God put me in this neighborhood for this reason. I ought to be reaching my neighbors. But when we worship self, we don't look beyond ourselves. It's uncomfortable. Or they may think I'm weird. Or they may say something. Or I may not have the answer to one of their questions. Right? Those are all things we think. You see, when you keep it to yourself, what you're doing is robbing others of the pleasure of knowing. Corinth, which is the next place that Paul goes in Acts 18, was about 60 miles from Athens. So, you know, the, the pinnacle of uh, modern thought at that time was in Athens. All the smart people were hanging around there, right? Greek philosophy. And they're all hanging around, but yet they're not going out and telling all of these new things that they've learned. And we're all the same way. We just get in these little huddles, and we get comfortable, and we worship what's comfortable to us instead of being uncomfortable and reaching the, uh, to make God known, reaching the outer parts of the earth. We say, oh, I can't go on an international mission trip because it's uncomfortable. Well, you're right, it is. Oh, I can't go on an international mission trip because I don't have the money. Well, good, because God does. Oh, I can't go on an international mission trip because of this or because of that. Those are all excuses. To know God and to make him known. That's what Paul is telling. But think about what this picture is. Them, them keeping all of this to themselves is preventing them from fulfilling the mission of the gospel. I went hiking. We used to live in Virginia and several years ago we took the kids hiking. And so we had two young kids. One of them, uh, my little boy Noah, and then I have a little girl named Natalie who's a little older. So Noah, I strapped him on one of those baby carriers and, uh, you know, one of those strap deals. And so we're going up the mountain. It's 4,000, 4,500 feet up the mountain, about an hour and a half straight up. Very hard hike, but the payoff is amazing when you get to the top. And so we said, hey, let's do it. So we get the kids and we start walking. It's always a great idea, might I encourage you, to take young kids on an hour and a half hike. It's a great idea. If you don't have any, borrow some. You must do it. And so we went on this hike straight up the mountain. And so I'm carrying Noah, and I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's a trek. I loved it, but it was a trek. So we get about three quarters, and I am spent. 
And Natalie uh, is with us, and, and she has a little bottle of water. You remember I, I mentioned raising little Pharisees earlier? You know, in the church, we just like the Stoics, we want good behavior, self-control, and so we're, be, we're doing behavioral modification. Well, we're trying to be very intentional about not doing that, case in point. I asked my little girl to give me the water bottle, and she said no. Now, that's certainly disobedient. And uh, so I said, give me the water bottle, and she said no. And so I said, okay, well, I'll just take it from you, right? And so I reached over to grab the water bottle. When I did, she jerked back. Well, in her movement to pull away from me, she dropped the water bottle. The only water bottle, might I add, that we have. The water bottle that is plastic and will shatter when it falls on a rock. And so, boom, it hit the rock and shattered all over the rock. I wanted to lay on the ground and lick the rock. That's how thirsty I was. I needed some water. But in her desire to keep it to herself, she prevented anybody, including herself, from having it. And that's what we do when we take the gospel and we hoard it. When we just keep it to ourselves, when we don't talk to our neighbors, when we don't love on our neighbors, we don't use the opportunities in the places that we are corporately to reach other people. So real quick, the the two things for 2016 for you, very simple. Number one, to know God. You see, look at this picture of the Athenians. This is what God did. Here's the Athenians worshiping themselves, worshiping pleasure, worshiping knowledge. And God sent Paul to minister the gospel to them so that they could be saved. Sound familiar? Here's you and me worshiping ourselves, worshiping pleasure, worshiping knowledge as humanity. God sends his son Jesus to preach the gospel so that we can be saved. Same picture. So in their false worship, God was giving them the gospel. He saw them searching for answers just like he saw us searching for answers. And he gave that answer through his son, Jesus Christ. Even in the moments in which we stray, God has still been there calling us. In our selfishness and pursuit of our own pleasures, Jesus has been there calling us. Because the ultimate objective, Paul told them in verse 27, was that they would find God. So how do you find God? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you say, well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about in knowing God. What does that really mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. The answer is very simple in verse 30. Paul told them in verse 30 that now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's how you know God. Faith is believing who he is. Repenting is turning from your way so you can do what God has created you to do. The word repent here means to change one's mind or purpose. Remember last week we talked about crisis of belief being stuck in the middle. How do you get out of that crisis of belief? How do you start moving forward with Jesus? You repent. We've made that a bad word in the church today, but it's a wonderful word. It's where we turn from our wicked ways and we acknowledge the fact that in and of ourselves, we can't do it ourselves, but we say there is someone who can and his name is Jesus. And so we repent of our sins. You go from living a life for yourself and pleasure, remember it means to change purpose, to a life that is to obey God and his word. So the purpose of your life changes. Acts 3.19 puts it this way, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, religion didn't bring a relationship for the Athenians and it won't do that for you. Only Jesus. How do I know that? Look at verse 34. It says, many believed. Paul preached Jesus. They repented and believed. That's what it means to know God. Very simple. 
And then the last thing is you say, well, I know God. Okay, so here's your resolution for 2016. It's simply this, to make God known. That's it. To make him known. In verse 26, he says that uh, he made from every man, uh, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the earth, having determined the allotted periods. God has put you where you are for a very specific reason. And that reason, listen to me, is to make him known. Where you work, where you play golf, where you have friends, where you go to church. It's corporately that you say, we will do whatever it takes to make Jesus known. As the old preacher used to say, you just need to bloom where you're planted. Wherever God's put you, you're there for a reason. And the way that Jesus proved that, how did he make, how did he take the first step? Well, the Bible says in verse 31 that he, he proved it by raising Jesus from the dead. So listen, you're not walking around talking about something that you hope will happen, okay? There's historical fact. If we had time, we could, we could talk about the historical fact of a man named Jesus who lived, who died, and who rose on the third day. There's zero evidence in the grave. He's not there. 500 people saw his resurrect, saw him after the resurrection. His mother Mary was there at the cross. She was also in Jerusalem in Acts 15 when they had the Jerusalem council. Well, they all got together and said, let's talk about this Jesus. Are we preaching the same thing? He's not in the grave. There is proof. You should have gave an amen there. There is proof that he is alive today. You don't celebrate, just like I said last week, you don't celebrate a deceased person's birthday. You remember it, you don't celebrate every year because he is alive and that's why we ought to go out and make him known he's the only one he's the only one all others that have come before have died and they're still in the tomb we have their bones we don't have Jesus' bones because he's not there I'll say this again if that don't light your fire your wood's wet right We ought to get excited in 2016 about letting the world know that I don't know what you're going to do But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to know God. And I'm going to do my very best to make Him known. Not only in my family, not only in my workplace, but in my community. Because that's what life is about. So whatever resolution you may have made for 2016, scratch it out and say to know Him and to make Him known. Because that will lead you to the life that God created you to live. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I want to know this Jesus that you're talking about. That's what the Athenians said. And the Bible says that they repented and many believed. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe, maybe you need to come down and talk to me or James or maybe you need to pray at the altar. And you may just need to say, God, I want to know you. The invitation is always there. He's always calling you. We sang in the song this morning that we're listening for the still small voice. Many of you are listening for the still small voice. And you're saying, God, are you out there? And his answer is, yes, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's what we want. We want peace, right? So maybe you need to come to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I know Jesus. Well, as the song says, listening for his still small voice, what I want to encourage you to do is listen to his still small voice. Maybe you need to come down and you need to commit at the altar or wherever between you and God and you see that God, this is going to be the year that your majesty will be on display in my life. 2016, to know him and to make him known. God, we come to you uh, this morning. God, we thank you for your scripture. And the fact, God, that it is so much simpler than we oftentimes make it. God, that you have created us. 
And God, in our sinfulness, we fell from, from where you created us to be, but God, you didn't give up on us. And Lord, you started with Abraham and you made a promise that you'd never forget. And God, all throughout the history of mankind, you've continued to call and you've sent prophet and you've sent prophet and you've sent prophet and then you sent your son Jesus to pay once for all our sin debt that we could never pay. And so Lord, this morning, I pray that 2016 will be a year like no other. Maybe there's someone here right now this morning who simply needs to give up and just relinquish their purpose for their life and take hold of your purpose for their life. Because they'll continually be empty and dissatisfied without Jesus. God, for those that are here this morning that have been stale, have been stagnant, they've not been in your word. God, they've not been making you known. May today be the day that they resolve to be who you created us to be. God, we pray that you would do what only you can do in this service right now. For it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.